this is Sora. Hi everyone, this is Mia Sorajman. And welcome back to the Listen to Grow show. Today we are so, so, so excited because we have a very special guest, Miss Amy Atkinson or Mrs. Moy. Mrs. Moy is a former Olympic athlete, a running coach, a soccer player, and a teacher. And now she is the wonderful mother of a two-year-old and another on the way. In 2012, she competed in the London Olympics for Guam, where she broke the national record for the women's 800-meter event and still holds that record today. Growing up, her life was centered around sport, where she played for the Guam national soccer team since she was only 12 years old. Wow. And even went on to play U.S. college football. But she's not only just an athlete, she's also, more importantly, one of the most passionate and caring coaches and teachers ever. I can definitely personally testify to this because um, before, if you've, been, if you've listened to our show, we used to live in Korea where I went to an international school and that's where I met Mrs. Atkinson because she was my year 6 and year 8 PE teacher. And funny story, she actually ended up marrying my year 8 Mr. Moy science teacher and so that's why she's now referred to as Mrs. Moy but out of habit I think we did my mom and I just kept referring to Mrs. Atkinson as Mrs. Atkinson Mm -hmm. but yeah she goes by Mrs. Moy now but we did say Mrs. Atkinson (laughs) um but yeah this story that she shares with us today is definitely full of wisdom lessons and teachings that you can definitely learn something from I know I definitely did and actually really her story is nowhere near over Yes, she's still dreaming and she's still hungry and she has definitely more to offer. You can find it out when you hear this episode. Yes, we actually do discuss (laughs) her plans for the future. Quite exciting as well. So yeah, get listening and we hope you enjoy it as much as we do. Hi, Mrs. Atkinson. Hi, Mrs. Atkinson. Um, Long time no see. Um, You look the same since I last saw you in Korea when you were my teacher. Um, on behalf of the show, I'm just so um, thankful that you made the time to come on the show and I'm just so excited. I was doing a little research um, onto what questions I should ask you and a lot came out um, more than what I remember when you used to be my teacher and what you told us. And so, yeah, I'm just really excited. <laughs> Sora was really delighted to interview you today. <laughs> yeah. Um, So yeah, I'm just going to go into the very first question. Um, This is actually one of my favorite questions because we always get different answers to this question. But if someone, um, yeah, the first question, if someone were to write a book in your life, uh, what would you want the title to be so far? Mm. Good question. Yeah, I, this was my, this was the most challenging question for me too. But (laughs) um, I actually chose the title Trading Stories would be the title for Mm. for my book and I actually that's one of my uh, goals I can talk more about that later but one of my goals is actually to write a book in the future Um, um, but to not just write it in a way of like oh telling it chronologically but telling it through the stories I've traded with all these different people that I've met along my journey or people that have um, influenced me in some way so yeah I, I call it trading stories because um, similar to your podcast, I think that the yeah, best way to learn yeah. is through other people's experience. So um, I actually had already jotted that title down as an idea for my book. And then you asked and I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> wow. Yeah. yeah, I was going to say it's similar to our podcast yeah. idea. Yeah. Mr. Arkansas, I will buy your book. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> That's so sweet. Yeah. We? Well, I'll let you know when I finish it a lot in maybe five years. <laughs> so, okay. Five years. I would buy it. <laughs> Actually, my mom asked me, does she have a book? And 
know. I was like, I don't know. But yeah, yeah you, you're, you're currently writing. Are you currently like yes. in the midst of writing? Somehow I thought you might really like to write your story. Yeah, so oh, thank you. That's, that's really sweet. <laughs> <laughs> I, I started the drafting process of writing down the chapters, the ideas, um, but with, uh, uh, I have a toddler right now, a two-year-old, and then a baby uh, due in December. So I think I'll have to put it a little bit on hold, um, but hopefully it'll be finished in a couple of years. Wow, wow. exciting. Really yeah. exciting. Thank you. <laughs> um, okay, so taking it back to your childhood from the very beginning, is there a particular memory that you remember from your childhood that was like a defining moment? Like, do you have any of those memories? Yeah. Um, yeah, this was also a great question. I would, um, I really, I had a wonderful childhood and um, I look back at it with fond memories. I had great parents and um, I think, I know this is cheating, um, but there were three distinct ones that I came up with. Um, one, and I'll go into more detail about one of them, but one was when my dad uh, had us backpack through the woods when I was like eight years old and we had to carry all of our own things with us. And we started the hike at midnight in the dark and we had to like pack in and uh, we had to catch all of our own food, et cetera. And it was this very rugged experience when I was only like an elementary school student. And I remember at the time thinking, is this normal for all kids? <laughs> and um, my dad saying, no, it's not normal, but it's gonna make you tougher someday. And, um, you know, I just have these fond memories of these adventures with my parents. And um, uh, the other one was I biked um, the West Coast with my dad and we got to meet all these people. And, and similar to what we were talking about with stories, um, we just met people along the way that were hospitable to us and helped us. And I think it showed me the beauty of being vulnerable and opening up um, yourself to others and then also when people do that for you um, and it just creates it shows you the beauty of humanity and how you can learn from others um, but the biggest defining moment of my childhood was moving to Guam because um, those other two experiences challenged me maybe physically or getting me out of my comfort zone um, when I was young but moving to Guam was a completely different culture I moved from Oregon um, to Guam and I ended up going to public school so I was one of only a few um, Caucasian students in my whole school. And it was the first time I was a minority. And I think that was just such a good experience for me to have a reverse culture shock and kind of have to learn how to fit into a new place and become accepted and, and do that. And so that was a big turning point for me and also the beginning of my sports journey um, that I'll share more about later. How old were you when your family moved to Guam? Um, I was 12 years old. So I actually, the funny part of the story is my family said, I'm the reason we moved to Guam um, because my dad um, was actually a pastor at the time. I'm, I'm a Christian and um, so my faith is important to me. And I, uh, he said, we pray about our future decision. And so he had a lot of job offers, other places he wanted, but I prayed that we'd move to Guam. <laughs> so um, he ended up, he ended up not getting the other two jobs he wanted. Um, and so I came to them and I was like, it's a sign we're supposed to move to Guam. So, um, but no, really, yeah, really my, um, my parents flew there and visited and they just fell in love with the culture and people there. And um, so, yeah, we moved when I was 12 and my family stayed for 12 years, so. Yeah. Yeah. Do they speak only in English or do, do they have a native language? Mm. Oh, great question. Yeah, um, English is the, the common language there because it's a US territory, but Chamorro is the name of the local 
um, people um, from Guam. Um, and then also the, the same name as the language. So we had, we had to learn Chamorro language in school, um, how to like write and read it. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a beautiful language, but it's, it's only um, really spoken on Guam and Saipan, those two islands. Mm, okay. Yeah, I remember back when, back in middle school when you were my PhD, yeah. I remember you telling me that story when you had to move to Guam, you felt you were in the minority. I actually remember that. Um, yeah. Was that. Um, like specifically, actually, in particular, when you, teenage years, when you were in high school, you mentioned that you had to, you had like a reverse cultural shock, you were mm -hmm. in the minority. What was it like? You, you obviously fought through it, but what was it like going through high school? Did you find your ground? And like, did you know what you wanted to do during high school? All of those questions. Yeah, no, those are great questions. Um, yeah, so I moved the beginning of my eighth grade year and um, it was really hard at first. I think for the first like one or two months, um, I was really sad and kind of just didn't um, know how I was gonna fit in or find my place. And um, there was, I started school there, um, public school, and there was this girl in my math class, um, Filipino uh, girl who was just so kind to me. Like I remember she invited me to lunch, et cetera. And we just became instant friends. And um, she wasn't, we didn't have um, like, necessarily that much in common at first, but she was just so kind and friendly. And, and so that really helped me. And um, she was actually in my wedding. We stayed friends since then. Oh. Um, but uh, what was cool was she was that first connecting point for me and she introduced me to other people. And so that helped a lot. But really, I think what um, was one of the biggest things for me was sports, honestly. I think, mm. I think God gave me a gift of athleticism because he knew that it was going to help me in that situation. And also I would be able to turn around and use it to help others. Um, so I tried out for the Guam national team, actually in eighth grade, uh, the national soccer team, they call it football there. Um, and yeah, yeah, so I was 13 and I tried out for the team and I ended up joining the Guam National Soccer Program and I played for that Guam team all throughout high school. Um, so for five years and I traveled um, to China and Singapore and Korea and all these places uh -huh. and I got to go and miss lots of school <laughs> and play on the Guam uh, National Team and that's really I think through sports I was able to learn more about the local people and gain the respect of people there and just be, it became my home right they became my family um, so I think sports it kind of is a level playing ground for everybody it kind of brings you together um, but in regards to high school um, uh, there, there were like there's private schools on the island etc but I wanted to go to public school just because I wanted to be more part of the local experience in Guam and my friends from middle school were were in the public school and um, but I knew in order to go to university I would have to work really hard because my family they um, had a lower income because my dad was a missionary um, and a pastor so it's kind of like it was one of those jobs where he was serving the community but it's not a high paying job and um, so I knew if I wanted to go, I was going to have to work really hard. So my goal was to get an um, academic and athletic scholarship. So my high school uh, experience, I think, was I didn't really have any social life other than my sports life or my uh, studying life. So all my best friends were either uh, students who were very academic or my uh, teammates. Um, so my, my schedule kind of looked like going to two practices a day. I would do my high school team practices cross country or soccer for two hours and then I have about 30 minutes in between to drive to the national team practice and I play for two or three hours in the evening and get home around eight or nine and then I 
uh, take a shower, go to sleep and do my homework around 4 a.m. Um, in the morning. And um, it was, yeah, it was just, it's, it was a goal I had. And um, again, like I said, those were my, my family and my teammates um, that I spent time with. Um, so I worked very hard and I actually, I graduated valedictorian of uh, my high school there. So I got a scholarship to my university, uh, both for, to play soccer and uh, for academics. Um, so yeah, it was a, it was definitely a, it was a busy time, but I, I loved it. I got to travel, I got to play sports, and I think I'm a nerd. I love learning in <laughs> school. And so I, I was always spending my lunch break, you know, trying to go to teachers' classrooms and do my work and stuff. Wow, it sounds like since you were a um, kid, your life is very organized. <laughs> yes. You want, yeah. And you know the direction. direction you are going. And you did it. <laughs> yeah. That's, yeah. yeah. That's well, I had a very good, my parents were super supportive, you know, like just always came to all of my games and my mom always had dinner ready when I got home, you know, they, so yeah. I, I definitely was motivated, but I had a really good support system. So I wanted like uh, the relations between Sora and me. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> I suppose yeah. everything she's doing and, and actually she's kind of a very organized goal-oriented girl yeah so I'm not worried about her I think she knows what she wants to do well, and hopefully <laughs> um, well, I was always very impressed and proud of Sora when I was teaching her in her younger days so <laughs> yes she's <laughs> and actually while you were talking about you were moving to Guam and then sort of a challenge you emphasized yeah. the sports is one of the tools to Make, socialize yeah socialize yeah. and then help you to adjust yourself to the new environment yes. and with the new friends and could you Sora Hano my kids yeah. as you know two years ago we moved down to Australia yes um, I mean they went to school here before we moved back to Korea but anyway when we moved down to Australia two years ago actually surprisingly they yeah I was gonna say it was really <laughs> hard like I, I can relate to you fully like even yeah. though I'd been in Australia before because I grew up here for seven years and then we moved back to Korea. When I came back down, I definitely felt in the minority. Mm. I don't like I don't even like there were a lot of like the school that I go to, it's very multicultural. Like we do have a lot of Asians, we do have a lot of different countries, but I don't know, like it's it was hard to fit in. But I actually like I thought sport might be the yes, reason why sports, I could get in, yeah. but it was actually more debating. And uh, like uh, including well, like co-curricular, yeah, yeah, sport. As well. yeah. I think to teenagers, uh, the importance of a sport yeah, is sport. It's not really only physical part. Yeah, it's yes. really important. Uh, I think for teenagers to be engaged with the sports, like and relations, then, yeah, networking, yeah, yeah, help them to yeah. make friends and be more confident yeah. as well. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes, I agree. Um. So, so you, so you, I, you did get the academic and sports scholarship, and did that bring you to America? Did you go to university in America? Is that right? Yeah. So I, I was looking at different places. I didn't. Um, I would have gotten like a full ride uh, scholarship to stay on Guam, like for graduating top of my class. But I, I really wanted to again kind of challenge myself, and I wanted to play uh, Division One or Two soccer. Um, mm -hmm. So I, I started looking at schools on the West Coast just because I had lived in uh, Oregon and my mom was from California. So I ended up choosing a school in California, Biola University, and. Um, that was another that's another story but the, the cool part for it was at the beginning when I tried out for the soccer team there I, I went my junior year and they said I was 
I was too small or I didn't have enough of like the skill I needed. They needed to play U.S. soccer. You know, they were like, that's more like Asia style soccer. Or you're just you're not going to be strong enough, you know, for the team. So I had a year and a half to work really hard. And I almost gave up on that dream. And my dad was really influential. And he was like, well, you can give up or you can work harder. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so I ended up um, trying out again and I made the team and um that was another part of, I think, my story or what I would want to communicate to listeners as well as, um, yeah, you're definitely sometimes told you're not good enough or that the path isn't um, right for you, but you're the only one that's going to know that at the end or be satisfied with the result. And it's true, sometimes doors close for a reason, but other times you just have to keep knocking <laughs> until, oh, until you go through. And yeah, um, We interviewed a guest last week yeah. and he's like, we asked a question at the end, like what's your last piece of advice? And he yeah. said that you had to keep knocking on yeah. doors. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. 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 So that was, that was part of my journey into university. And I, I ended up becoming a captain and getting a full ride scholarship to our, um, to play soccer. And, um, yeah, so it was a huge, it was a huge part of my journey. Um, so I'm glad I didn't give up on it, uh, in, in those younger days, but, um, I did, I did go to Biola University. Um, it's like a division two, uh, private Christian school in Southern California. And I ended up actually going in undeclared. I wasn't sure, I, I really wasn't sure if I wanted to be a doctor or a teacher or something. I wanted to do something in the social like sphere, like something that would help people or I'm a people person. So I wanted to work with yeah, people. Yeah. So I waited like a semester to decide. And then I decided teaching was a lot more personal and like mentoring. And I got uh, advice from professors that said that would be a good career. So I, I went that path instead of the science path. Um, so when you first left high school, you didn't really know which career you wanted to go into? Yeah, yeah, I really love like, I thought about physical therapy or um, being a doctor, etc. But I, I thought in that sense, you only work with people for a very short time, right? And then they move on. And I think something I'm, I'm passionate about is relationships and long-term growth. And so that's why I chose teaching just because, yeah, you get to be with the people you're working with for a longer period of time. Wow. So you majored education? At a yes, I actually majored, I double majored in education and English. So I, I got a degree in like elementary education up through um, high school. And then I did uh, specifically just English in case I wanted to work with like tutoring, uh, second language learners so. um currently I'm in year 12 and I like I don't exactly know but I actually do have my eyes set on becoming a doctor and so oh that's exciting yeah <laughs> yeah so yeah you're saying that I was just like yeah I, I don't know for sure but that's definitely what my goal is because if I aim high yes. if I get knocked yes. out still high <laughs> no I have a huge uh I actually, speaking of that, sorry, this is off the questions, but our son actually fractured his foot this weekend. It was oh. a very stressful weekend, oh. but I was like, I've had to interact with all these medical people and doctors. And it's crazy how there's just been some doctors that have been so kind and so good with him, like making him through a traumatic experience, making him feel so at peace and doing that and I was just like oh thank god for these people <laughs> because it was so stressful so I really I really do think it is one of those things where I could have gone down that path and really loved that career and you'd be great at it so I like oh, it's, Miss, Miss Arkison, yeah. actually I feel the same it was yes. I sort of pass on my dream which I couldn't achieve to yes. my daughter <laughs> yes. so she can achieve you wanted to be I really believe doctor is more than a career 
yeah it is yeah yeah no I was I was like oh these people are here for a reason so I've thought about it before I'm like should I go back to nursing school etc but I really love teaching so I think I'll stick with it Yes, yeah, exactly. You were one of the you favorite were my teacher. favorite teachers, yes. and not just oh, all of us thought you were so cool. I know. Talk about you. That's really sweet. <laughs> well, uh, someday when you're a doctor, uh, I'll bring my kids to you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fingers crossed. I mean, back yeah. to uh, your YISS teacher days. I was yeah. one of the PTO members. So from time yes, to time, yeah. I reached the school. And when I saw you in corridor of the school, you all the time had a big smile <laughs> on your oh. face. So I can say you really enjoy teaching yeah. teaching students. And yeah. 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 Um, Thank you. <laughs> um, so you played a lot of soccer. You played for the yes. Guam national mm-hmm. soccer team. You played for college football, American college football. How did this, because yeah. I know you went, eventually went to <laughs> running. Yeah. How did this like translate over into running what made you get into running yeah you know it's still sometimes I'm like how did all this happen (laughs) but um the crazy thing is um because I played on the Guam national team they had a really strict fitness uh regimen because um you have to play 90 minutes without a sub most of the time in international play um and I was a wing player so it's a lot of running um and our our coach would actually make us uh do these 5k time trials almost like every weekend we had to do like Saturday training and he's really intense you know because he's a national coach so he'd be like until someone throws up we're not stopping you know he's very very intense and crazy (laughs) but anyways all that to say um it I had to enter all these races and before I just thought when I was younger I thought I was like a sprinter because that's what I was like soccer players need to be fast and have agility etc but I started entering these 5k's and I found out I was really good at them um I didn't know before that I was a good distance runner I started winning them and I got faster and faster so I actually uh joined my the track team and cross country team in high school and I really enjoyed racing um I yeah I, I got to go and um, compete in Japan and some other places like with my team or separately but um, the way it works with like university sport it's really hard to pursue two sports if you want to go to the college level you kind of have to choose um, and I actually experienced some stress fractures in my shin from overtraining um, so I had to make a hard decision um, my sophomore year and I decided to focus solely on soccer um, because I I just couldn't manage the the training is it, like you need to be fit for soccer but to run it's like you know it's a little bit different like to get really fast at running etc so I kind of put my running career on the hold and I did it more for like fun or for to stay in shape for soccer Mm -hmm. but um, at the end of my soccer career I actually uh, injured my uh, knee pretty badly um, in my senior season Um, and I played the whole season on it but um, afterwards I went to get an MRI and the doctor basically said your knee's done, like you probably shouldn't ever play sports anymore. It was very discouraging diagnosis. Um, He was like, you know, he's saying, yeah, (laughs) he was like, someday when you have kids, you want to run around with them and you need to stop. Um, So I was really sad. Um, I finished my soccer career, but I was just like, I don't feel like I'm done yet competing, you know? And so um, I went to a really good physical therapist um, who said, yeah, maybe you shouldn't play soccer anymore for now because of the cutting back and forth. But he said, I think you can run again if we work really hard. And so he helped me for a couple months um, get to a place where I could run again. And so I started racing and I 
I said, you know, maybe it's time for me to pick back up my other dream of running. <laughs> and that was about two years before the Olympics, two and a half years. Wow. Um, so I reconnected with my old running coach on Guam and was like, I'd really love to start racing for Guam now and focus on running. And so they were like, yeah, you can, you can join us and try out for the international competition. So I ended up running for Guam in the South Pacific Games, which was in New Caledonia. It's a French uh, territory. Yeah, because you guys might be familiar in Oceania. And I ran in uh, Samoa, American Samoa, and um, also in Fiji and in Australia. Um, but I, I was uh, basically going and I started gaining points. There's like this point system for Guam and I started winning medals for Guam in these Oceania meets. So we would compete against New Zealand and Australia and then all the small islands in uh, the Pacific. But um, about a year before the Olympics, I was doing really well and I was like, wait, this is actually like a possibility. I knew that Guam sends wild cards to the Olympics. So I, I was like, is, could this really happen? You know, and um, the Olympic Committee on Guam also reached out to me and they're like, you're a candidate we're considering as a female we would send. So I hired a coach in California, actually, while I was student teaching, I was doing my master's degree in Cal um, California. Same time. And so, yeah, same time. So I was uh, doing my like student teaching master's and I started racing competitively and I was I was on the track to go to London um, for the Olympics. And there was a few, I think there was one or two other girls who were also trying for the spot, um, but they were sprinters. And it's really hard to go as a distance runner because um, if you're a little bit of a slower runner from a small country, uh, the gap is bigger, the longer the distance, right? So if you, if you're good at the 5k, even though I could run a 17 minute 5k, which was like the fastest on the Island, you know, Kenyan runners are running a 15 minute 5k, right? So it's a bigger yeah. gap. So anyways, they were like, you're going to need to run the 800. And that's the shortest I was good at. I was like, oh man, it's so painful, but I'll trade for it. So, um, so all that to say, I got sent to Istanbul um, for the World Indoor Track Championships in March. Um, so it's like the Olympics, but just for track and field um, oh, okay. on indoor track. Yeah. So I went there and it was kind of like my chance to prove myself as like the top candidate. And I ended up, I had been experiencing some foot pain um, before. So I was kind of nervous about it, et cetera. And I ended up tearing my arch in the race. Oh. I ran the 400 meters there. And so I ran like a really, I finished the race, but I ran a slow time and finished last in my heat. And I just was so discouraged and so defeated. Um, and I was like, it's over. You know, I felt this pop in my foot and it was March of 2012. And London was, um, that summer in August, right? And so I came back to California and just, just felt so defeated. And I walked into the classroom I was working in, the third graders, and they had all watched me on TV and stuff. Uh -huh. And, you know, you almost after an experience like that as an adult, you kind of want to hang your head and you're feeling sad and all this yeah. stuff. And these kids, you know, they ran and wow. they just swarmed me and they just gave me this huge hug and they were like, you're our hero. We're so proud of you. And um, I feel like God used that as a defining moment for me of they really didn't care how I performed, but they cared that I was an important person to them. And I had tried to go for a goal and they'd seen me on TV and stuff. And that really hit me where it was like, okay, if God wants me to go to the Olympics, it'll happen. If not, then I'll, I'll be at peace with it. And I, I just really put all of my energy into recovery. So I ended up doing all these water workouts for a while. I was in a cast and boot for my foot to heal. And I, once I got out of it, I would do all my workouts in the water for an hour. I'd just run in the water and oh. in the deep end. And I finally started running again on foot in May of that year. 
and I got to go to Australia the first week of June in Cairns and Mm. I raced and ended up taking a bronze medal in the 1500 and the national committee called me and said you've gained enough points to be our wild card you're going to London like pack your bag so yeah so I got so it was like this very last minute thing I got to I got to go and I think it was really good for me to go through that injury because Mm -hmm. yes I was slower maybe than I would have been without getting injured but it showed me that it wasn't just about me. It was about overcoming something. And there was a bigger story God wanted to use. Yes, I I really, really like that because I think that can we can take this lesson and experiences of yours and we can apply that to any aspect of our life. You talked to us about how you, well, you just said that when you had that injury, you know, at that point in your life, that sounded like one of the worst things in the world. But God took that injury, God took that setback and used it as like a like an elevator. He turned it into something beautiful, something that you could um, go forward with. And you turned that injury from soccer into something like <laughs> being injured, going through soccer and taking that injury. You know, it sounded like the worst thing in the world to you. But actually, from that, you were able to find a love again in running. And then you went to the Olympics, which is like, it's great. It's It really speaks to the idea that what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. You didn't die because of these injuries. You didn't die because of these setbacks. Instead, you didn't let yourself, first of all. You kept persisting, persisting, and and now look at you. You were able to take that setback and move forward in something to even better, and that's amazing. I think we should really, like, whenever, like, we can apply this to all areas of life. If you get a bad mark in, in, in school, you take that bad mark, you learn from it, be grateful that you made that mistake now so you don't make it later, and move forward and make it into something better. And I, I think that's exactly what you did. And so, yeah, I just wanted to point that out. By the way, so you uh, went through so many different uh, competitions in a different places. I can imagine that, uh, you know, the tension and nerve, nerve break. Yes, <laughs> lots of nerves. <laughs> How could you manage it that? that How do you stay calm? Mental thing. Yeah. Waiting for you know, one shot. The starting <laughs> oh my yeah. gosh. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was, I think, um, yeah, honestly, that's how I think God used that to make me a better teacher and coach later because the empathy you feel when your students are having anxiety over mm-hmm. competing exactly. or test anxiety and things. I definitely felt all of those emotions. Um but yeah, I think I really learned the importance of like psychology and um, having your mind in the right place and your body will follow. And so, yeah, I did a lot of um, a visualization before competitions. I did a lot of prayer. I kept uh, training logs. And when I get nervous, I'd go back and look at all of my workouts I'd done. So I have confidence, like mm-hmm. I've overcome this thing. So now I can do this, et cetera. And so I also think that's important in any field, whether yes. you're a musician or you're trying to be, uh, pursue a medical degree and you're having a setback with your exams, et cetera. I think it's important to keep a journal or things you can look back on and say, I did this, I can do this. I did, yeah. So yeah, yeah it was, it's a lot of mental. <laughs> important tips yeah. for young people as well. Yeah. yeah. Um, so so you, you, you got into the Olympics, you, you were going, you were traveling with the Guam team and you got to London. What was it like? Like the whole experience just seems yeah. so far away from me, but you were actually there and like you were in the middle of it. And can you tell us a little bit like what, what, what was it like? That's like one of the largest stages for the world, right? Because it's yeah, the really sure. What's like the coolest part and everything? 
Yeah, it was it was honestly so surreal. It was amazing. I used to watch um, every Olympic opening ceremony. My family didn't have cable or wouldn't pay for it, but for the Olympics, they would buy it <laughs> just so we could oh watch it. So it also felt to me this like thing I had always idolized almost and like looked yeah. at. And now I was like, wait, I'm here. <laughs> so <laughs> it was it was honestly amazing. Um, I know that there's a lot of rumors and things that go on about Olympic villages or them being crazy party cities or things like that. But yeah, it really wasn't like that, that experience. I think it's like people can make it that, but it was just this village of you just walk around and there was constantly people like exercising and working out. And you'd see like the Chinese gymnasts would just be out on the grass with their coach doing a handstand while you're walking to breakfast and you come back and they're still there, you know, <laughs> or there's these guys that are boxing down by the practicing boxing um, by the laundry room or you go and it's just, everybody's so focused and, yeah. but there's these it's every country. Yeah, yeah. Athletes, only countries. And athletes yeah. are one of the most like dedicated and you have to work really yeah. hard to be very disciplined. You've got mm. the world's top disciplined yeah. and hardworking people and you were there too. And that's just, yeah. wow. Well, what was cool, I think about it and what I, why I love the Olympic spirit is because I did let small countries like Guam, myself or other mm -hmm. smaller countries who aren't like the US who have you know, hundreds of athletes that go, we only had uh, seven. Um, yeah. And it's like, but it, while you're there, people respect you the same, you know, like they're everybody that's here got here and it doesn't matter which country you're from or how high your ranking is like, we're all here and we're all here to uh, make our country proud. Right. And that was a really cool experience to just feel just like I was treated like one of everybody else in this and the opening ceremony was probably other than the race itself was my favorite experience because oh, I got to walk out participated um, the opening ceremony yeah it was so cool we, we marched in we had our full Guam costume and you know you're waving and, and you're like oh. there's people watching all over and what was really cool though is the performance kept going on right you know they do the whole tv performance of uh, the cultural stuff but then they put all the athletes in the middle of the arena unlike this year with COVID you know they all had to be separated but it was just this big uh, mixture of athletes and we all had these pins from our country that were specially made and so I had a Guam one and I think I was given 30 total and you're allowed to trade them with other athletes and you keep this necklace with all the pins so we were popular because we're such a small country our, our pins were limited edition right? <laughs> so, so yeah. I got to meet people from everywhere they kept coming up can we have a Guam pin can, so I got to meet a lot of people and that was one of my favorite memories and that's where my title of the book came up because we it was trading pins was the theme and I thought oh trading pins is kind of like trading stories and um, I like yeah. that I really like that title yeah. going back yeah. to it um yeah. Yeah. oh um and of course when I researched like the number one thing that came out is that you broke the Guam national record 800 meter record at the Olympics did you did you know you were going to break that record and like what's it like knowing that you were able to do something like that's a massive achievement just thank you <laughs> yeah no it was that was really that was my goal I was working towards um to break that record and like I said um the 800 meters is actually not my strongest event my stronger events were like the 1500 uh, to the 5k I was more of a distance runner but um I was told I needed to run the 800 there because of being from a smaller country, a wild card. So I thought, okay, well, I have to set a goal. I'm gonna do this to the best of my ability, et cetera. And so I knew that my times going in weren't going to get me into the final round unless there was some miracle. But I said, you know, but I wanna make my country proud and I think I can break this record. So that was my goal. Um, but like I said, coming off of the injury, it was a little bit like, can I still do this, et cetera. So 
it was so surreal that it, honestly, I think God set up the perfect race for me because uh, two people in my heat didn't show up. Um, so there was only five of us and the top three move on to the finals, um, to the next round. And so I still didn't think I was going to move on to the finals, but I was like, there's two people not here. What's this race oh, going to yeah. be like? So I think the other runners felt not as much pressure to go as fast. Mm -hmm. So we actually ran the first lap quite slow and I was like almost in the lead. I was in second place. And so it was very comfortable. So my legs didn't burn out. And so it was the perfect race because then my last lap, I was able to give everything. And then I broke my previous time by three seconds and set the record. And wow. it was just this you know, I ended up finishing last in my heat, but I was the most overjoyed of any race I'd ever run before, yeah. you know, before I was used to winning all the races and I was last and I was so happy. <laughs> and I, cause I got to look up at the screen and it said in our national record. And I was just so thankful um, because I wanted to make Guam proud because they'd done so much to get me there. Um, yeah, so it was, it was a really beautiful experience. Your game was broadcasted in Guam alive. Yeah, yeah. So they were. So there was a lot of people watching. That was also yeah. nerve-wracking. There was like eighty thousand people watching in the stadium, and then there was all these people on TV. <laughs> yeah. 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 When you were um, waiting for the starting point, yes, the starting line. I'm curious how you felt. You always going to yeah. 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 You know, it was like it was weird. I was really. Um, unusually calm I think um oh, before that yeah before that race in Istanbul I was so anxious like I didn't sleep the night before because yeah. it was like this biggest competition and then I hurt myself in the race right mm -hmm. and I think I went through all these experiences where by the time I got to London on the starting line I was like the only reason I'm here is because mm -hmm. God wants me here for a bigger reason like I had all these things go wrong that I shouldn't have been there so I think I was just grateful I was just on the line and I was so excited to run and um it was the most peaceful I've ever felt before a race, honestly. It was a weird feeling. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was morning game or afternoon game? It was morning. It was around 11 a.m. Um, yeah, it was, it was crazy because they have you at this practice track and then they walk you through a tunnel and then you're waiting and you walk, march out in front of all these people. And I think I just felt like I was almost in like a video game or something like just oh. going through the motions. And when the gun went, my body just went. <laughs> it, was, it was crazy. You had the breakfast as usual as well? Yeah, I, I usually had like with that another thing like you were talking about with nerves, I think is like repetition. So I always ate the same thing, like yeah. the same amount of time before the race. And so I just kind of did my routine um, that I would for other races. Yeah. Wow. Great. Yeah. After that, you, you might have another courage or another confidence, like you feel <laughs> anything. <laughs> <laughs> it was a pretty, it was an amazing experience. I think yeah. it was good because right after the Olympics, like um, probably only less than a week later, I started my first teaching job and it was, it was really hard. And so I kept, kept going back to, okay, I just did the Olympics. I can teach these kids. <laughs> it was a, it was a, um, a little bit of a crazy whirlwind. I interviewed for my job while at the Olympics and started my first job. Yeah. When I got back. <laughs> was that first job, was that still in America? When, when did you? It was actually in Guam. It was, in, uh -huh. I taught my first year in a public school in Guam and I love, I loved, you know, those kids and that's those other teachers. Cause I went to public school. So I thought I want to go back and give back to the Island. You know, I'd, um, so after I competed in Guam, I flew back to Guam and yeah, I only had two days before my job started. So it was kind of crazy. Um, but you know, public schools sometimes have less resources than private schools. So I had about 35 kids in every class 
six classes and I, I didn't really have a lot of materials. You had to buy your own paper. I just had a chalkboard, all this stuff. So, and there was the textbooks hadn't arrived yet. They weren't coming for a few more months um, because the, the Guam public school system doesn't necessarily have a lot of funding or money. So the teachers have to be creative. So it was very stressful first experience. I was like, what am I doing? But I, I honestly loved I love those kids so much. And that's when I actually started coaching track and field for the first time that first year. Um, I had a team of like 40 to 50 middle schoolers. And yeah, that's what got me into coaching. So I'm really thankful I, I had that job. Yeah. And and how did you get to, because I, I know you as my teacher in Yongsan International School of Korea. Yes. How did you, what yeah. made you choose Korea, like out of all the international yeah. schools and like, why, so why did you leave Guam yeah. and go there? Oh, great question. Yeah. So I, um, I would have stayed in Guam longer, but my parents actually after 12 years decided to move back to Oregon, the U.S. to be closer to their family. My, my grandparents, you know, it's hard when like grandparents or family are aging and you don't want to miss out on being around family. So they decided to go back and I think I had a it was a hard decision to either stay on the island by myself um, or move back at the same time as my family um, so I decided to move back with my family and look for jobs in Oregon and be around my grandparents and cousins etc so I actually worked at a private Christian school um, in Oregon for two years and I taught um, I actually taught language arts so I was an American oh. teacher and a, a grammar teacher um, ESL teacher so I worked there two years and I was coaching um, track and field as well but I, I think I had this itch um, that I was like I think I'm meant to be international <laughs> like I think like you guys are saying after all this travel and things I just felt like I think I'm supposed to work with students that have a similar background to mine like where I can share what it's been like to have to move or immerse in different cultures and etc and um, the place I was at was great but it was a very small community and so I started looking actually for jobs in Europe and South America first because uh -huh. I had traveled so much in Asia that I was like, selfishly, I was like, I just want to go to a new country that I'd never been to before. So that's what I looked for. But I found this network that Yis Yongsan International School was part of, and I interviewed for them. Um, and they actually were the ones that said, why don't you consider Korea or, like with your background of um, you know, growing up in Guam and, and competing in Asia, you'd be a great fit here. So I think it was good because it made me think and it was like, okay, I don't need to go to a new country. Uh, I'll go to this place. And I, I really felt like um, I was only going to go for two years. So I was like, I'll go and try it out <laughs> and see how it goes. But I fell in love with Korea and the students at Yongsan International School. Um, so I was a great student <laughs> um, and I had a lot of really special students. And I also, it was the first job where I became a full-time PE teacher, um, which yeah. gave me more opportunity to pour into coaching, which is my passion. Um, mm. So I ended up staying in Korea for six years um, oh, and, and teaching, you know, yeah. When we move back to Korea, my, yes. my husband and I also thought two or three years maximum. And yes. <laughs> but we stayed there total seven years yeah. before we moved back to Australia. Yeah. yeah no it's a great it's a great place so it's a beautiful country and I mean I'm thankful I met my husband there and yeah. <laughs> the good things came from it so yeah and wasn't Ziki was born in Korea was yeah yeah so my first my first son is born in Korea as well so Ooh, yeah it's a really special place for me <laughs> yeah okay um and so so you did a lot of coaching you fell in love with coaching what has overall coaching taught you that's a big question mm. but um yeah, yeah. Um, 
You know, I think when you talk about the nerves, you're asking me about it. Sometimes it's nice being on the coaching side because you're like, oh, I don't have to experience those same kind of nerves and pain. Like I'm watching other people do it now. Yeah. No, but I don't mean that in the way of like, I enjoy watching them in pain. It's more so, I think it showed me the beauty of um, how no experience from your past is ever wasted, right? Like um, there's been times with my athletes where a situation will come up and I'll remember a very specific time from one of my, so from something in high school or competing where I had similar emotions or, or a situation and I'm able to use that to help someone else get through something. And um, yeah, so I think coaching has taught me the beauty of like, everybody's different and learning about learning from and learning about my athletes is fun and seeing them grow, but also seeing that my experiences weren't just for me. They were um, so that I could give back to others. I, I like to hear you say like, no experience is waste. You say something yeah. Like yeah, yeah. I really like it. You can learn something yeah. from everything. Yeah. yeah, it's like it's like this idea that you know we are all a part of something bigger. Like when we go through our own individual um, insignificant experiences compared to the rest of the world. Like at that time, I guess we're all so centered and thinking like, how are we gonna get out of this dreadful experience? When really, like, we're I don't know how to explain it, but like we're all part of something bigger and like our experiences, all the lessons that we can go through, someone else is going to be going through the same thing and our lessons and what we learn are can be so valuable and they can really help other people. And I think that's one of the reasons why my mom and I started the show because again, like what we were saying earlier, I think there's so much value in experiences and learning other people's experiences. Um, and you don't know when it's going to come up, right? Like sometimes you're like, oh, why did I have to go through that? That was just annoying. And later you're like, oh, that's why. I definitely had that. that yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, kind of like backtracking back to sports. Um, we've talked a lot about the value of sports and the importance of sports. And undoubtedly, sports was a big part of your life, as it is of my life. However, unfortunately, as we both know, um, sports, along with all the joys and happiness it can bring, it can also bring a lot of pain and frustration through its injuries. I can definitely relate to this and testify. I've broken my ankle, I've broken my, um, I've fractured my wrist, I've broken multiple fingers, and, you know, they're just the worst. But if we can, like, because we've talked about setbacks as well and how we can use those setbacks to go forward, if you can... What can you say um, that all of your injuries, because I think you've had even worse injuries than mine, and yes, you have had worse injuries than mine. What have you learned from all of those past injuries? And what do you, do you have any tips to stay mentally strong when you have those injuries? I guess, I guess for me, if I were to answer that question, just to have a little reflection right now, like when I have an injury, for example, when I fractured my wrist, I was forced, given no choice, to learn how to do things differently. And that really taught me resilience because, like, when I fractured my wrist, I couldn't even tie my own hair. And, like, what can I do? I, I, I can sit there and start crying, but my hair would never be tied. And so I had to be forced to learn how to do something differently. Um, I think my mom tied my hair for the first week and then I used my left hand. And, yeah, for me, I guess I I, I was taught resilience through my injuries. But, but, yeah, you've had worse injuries than mine. What have you learned? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, yeah, so I think a lot of my injuries, I pretended for a while they weren't there. I tried to, <laughs> I, I like I had a busted knee with a lot of cartilage damage and a hip tear. Um, and I actually didn't end up getting those repaired by surgery until I was in Korea. Um, the medical system there is great. Um, but yeah, I, I think in, in high school, I had rolled ankles. I broke my arm in university, like you're saying. And um, I think 
when I went through those surgeries, one of my surgeries, I actually, when they repaired my the cartilage in my knee, I was non-weight bearing for eight weeks. So it was two months. I couldn't put any weight on my leg. So to have to only use one leg for that long. And I was teaching PE classes. So I was like, you know, in your mind, you're like, how am I going to be a PE teacher when I can't walk? I'm in a wheelchair, et cetera. But like you said, you adapt. I like learned to shoot a basketball, like from my wheelchair and make the shot, you know, like you just learn. Um, and yeah, like, like you said, I think, I think it just increases your empathy and your resiliency, right? Like when other people suffer from injury, like I think sometimes people that haven't gone through them, they don't quite know what to say or do, you know, people try to fix the situation. And when you've gone through one, sometimes you can just be with that person and they feel comfort knowing that you understand their pain. And um, it sounds, it sounds silly, but even just now with my son fracturing his foot, he's only he's only two. He can't even, he just, he's not even two. He turns two in November and he's in a cast and it's like to be that young, and to get hurt and not know how to deal with your emotions. I think mm-hmm. as a mom, it helps me to know like, oh, when he gets frustrated or angry, I know what those emotions have felt like and I can I can be a better mom to him. And yes. yeah, so like you said, I think it just helps you. I think it helps you relate to people better. And like you said, once you've overcome it, you're, mm-hmm. you're more confident the next thing that you face. Yeah. yeah. Did you, when you were only putting weight on one leg and you had that cartilage surgery, was that in Korea? In YSL? Yeah, it was, I, yeah, it was in Korea. Oh, I remember. Yeah, I got to, I crutched like, around and I would, yeah, uh, yeah. yeah I remember. So it made me, yeah, I think it made me a better uh, overall athlete. My, my throwing got better. <laughs> well, as you said, I'm sure that your experience about injury will help you, your motherhood, your responsibility yes. as a mom. Yeah understand or to be more calm when your kids were injured yeah how how did Zeki fracture his foot oh man this kid (laughs) (laughs) so he loves to just like me uh he loves to run he like runs all the time but he was actually it was so funny he was just spinning really fast he likes to spin as fast as he can and then try to run but and then loses his balance so anyways uh he ended up um he was just spinning and ran and like fell funny and just landed on his foot. And, you know, kids at that age, their bones aren't fully formed and his foot just like bent in half and Um, cracked all the bones in the middle. It was so sad. So, yeah. So the doctor said he'll heal fine because he's young, but you know, he's, (laughs) he's, he's pretty cute. He still tries to dance around in his cast Um, when he hears music, he gets on his knees and dances. Kids are so good. They're so much more uh, positive than adults. I think when they go through these things. Definitely. Um, so looking back on your journey so far, um, and all the things that you've done, can you, what would you say have been your strengths and weaknesses upon reflection? Yeah. So I was thinking about this question when you asked it and, um, in university, I actually took a test called the strengths finders, uh, test. It's a pretty famous, um, test they'll use in businesses or sometimes at university. Maybe you'll get to take it eventually, but they, there's like 50 different strengths and you take a test and it tells you what your top five are. And then you can use those on your resume, et cetera, or help to choose a career. And my, some of my top ones were achiever, um, includer and responsibility. And so I was thinking about those and, I think though they were named my top strengths, they can also be my weaknesses. Like, um, because as an achiever, you have this feeling of never feeling satisfied unless you've checked things off your list. Or it's hard to be just in the moment of where you're at. Like my husband's a lot better at saying like, just enjoy right now this hour that you have where I'm like, what's the next thing I need to do or achieve, right? So I think it's, it's, it's helped me pursue my goals and be who I am today, but I also have to learn to not let that 
make me be unsatisfied with what I have, you know, not always be looking to the next thing. Um, and I think the includer and responsibility that comes with, I have a lot of empathy and I feel things deeply. So sometimes I have a hard time when other people are hurting or things are stressful, I feel I get very emotional and I feel it very strongly and I have to learn how to like deal with that so that stress doesn't affect me physically, et cetera. So yeah, I think, I think you, sometimes your greatest strengths can also be your greatest weaknesses if you don't keep them in check. Wow, yeah. yeah. Maybe uh, it's being in balance is important. Yeah? Yes, <laughs> definitely. Yeah. So do, do not see one side too much. Oh, I see. Yeah. Both sides. Yeah. And then find the balance. Yeah. So maybe Mr. Moi and you are in oh, good balance. match. Yeah. Yeah. Match. No, honestly, I think he's literally the, the most perfect match for me because um, wow. we share a lot of the same passion with coaching and doing things, but he keeps me grounded when I get too uh, ambitious <laughs> or things. He's like, just chill out. <laughs> so. I remember he was very popular teacher, especially yes. <laughs> and he loves basketball. No, volleyball. volleyball. Yeah, and volleyball, yes. Yeah. Yeah. And some moms were worried that he's too much, maybe. Like the kids. <laughs> yeah. No, it is. I think that that's what's good about him is he's young at heart, you know, like, so he's a, uh, he's he's good for that's why he's so good at teaching and coaching because he knows how to have yeah, fun still not too serious boys yeah he's yes. the girls he liked the girls more oh, oh he was okay. my science teacher <laughs> yeah. I was you know what's there. so funny yeah he actually he thought both of our kids were going to be girls because yeah. he's like i think i, I need to be a girl dad and have girls but then yeah. we have boys and he he loves our boys too but it's so <laughs> funny he's like maybe if i had a girl i'd be too much of a softie so, so. <laughs> so how many kids do you want to have <laughs> me i only want to have two i uh you know pregnancy and childbirth is is tough <laughs> but but we'll see or you know we're open to three but i think i'll be very happy with just two so okay um and also second last question i yeah. think I don't think you would have any regrets <laughs> because we've talked about how setbacks and you can actually use them to grow and go ahead and open new doors but would you say or do you do do you do have any regrets like do you have anything that's a good question yeah. it's kind of a I'll spin the question I think um I think for me sometimes I can like that achiever perfectionist side I was talking about um sometimes in a situation a stressful situation I have a tendency to go like oh I should have done this and then it would have turned out different or I should have um and I think sometimes when you're doing that like oh if I had done this then the outcome would be different like when you let your mind go to that place mm -hmm. you end up robbing yourself of a lot of energy and joy from the current spot and so I'd say my only regrets is when I let myself uh go to that place where I'm like second guessing myself or the situation or things um and and I'm like after I get over it I'm like why did I waste so much energy thinking should have or what if right like it's already done I'm in the present yeah. moment so I don't think there's any big regrets of like decisions or things that have happened but I think maybe mentally sometimes I'll say like oh I shouldn't have wasted so much energy mm -hmm. uh, focusing on the past or yeah. I think that's, that's something really I need good. to learn yeah <laughs> it's hard yeah. it's really hard you have some wisdom with a lot <laughs> only that's allowed to all the people but you are still mm -hmm. young but you definitely oh, thank you. lack of wisdom. <laughs> yeah. So it's really, um, Sora was right. It's sort of really, when we had this project, 
she mentioned mm-hmm. your name. Yeah. You are one of oh, the you. first people she said, oh, we got to interview Mr. Arkinson. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, thank you. It's sweet. I think I stopped teaching two years ago when I had my first son. And, uh, you know, I being a mom, sometimes when you're in the heart of momhood, you forget about all of these things from your life other than momhood, right? So mm-hmm. it's really sweet that you wanted to interview me because sometimes I'm like, oh, my life is uh, much different now than it was when I was competing. <laughs> Yeah. Um, okay, so lastly, last question. We've talked mm. a lot about all the things that you've learned and experienced, but if you could have just one, one piece of advice that you wish you could have told yourself or something that you want to tell the younger generation, what would it be? I mean, you already told several good comments. Yeah, lots oh. of- <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, I wrote this one down so yeah, I wouldn't mess it up. So let me pull up my notes really quickly. Um, I said, it's good to have a plan and goal for your life, right? I'm very goal plan oriented. Mm-hmm. Um, but the piece of advice I would give is to hold those plans or goals loosely in your hands. So it's this idea of having your hands, you can hold them, but hold them open. Um, uh, because as, as a follower of um, a Jesus, as a Christian, I think there's a lot of Proverbs that talk about um, how God determines your steps. Um, and so I think for me, that's honestly been the reason I've enjoyed my life so much is because sometimes my plans got changed. And instead of saying, holding and clinching them being like, why didn't it go the way I planned? Mm-hmm. Instead, it was like, oh, it's even more beautiful, or exciting than I expected. And so, yeah, just hold, hold your plans loosely. Doesn't mean don't make them, but be willing to let them change. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. Like being flexible and yeah. Like you still knock knock the doors. Find the beauty in everything. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. I really like that. Again, yeah. that's something I need to learn. <laughs> I think <laughs> can definitely take a lot of people can take a lot from this interview. We can learn a lot. Um, thank you. Thank you so much for coming. Yeah. Like we really appreciate yeah. it. We can't thank you enough for it. This has been my favorite interview yeah. so far. <laughs> oh, you guys are okay. It's so good to see you again. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, I just wanted to draw the interview to a close. Um, If you guys have made it this far and listened to the story so far, good job. Um, Thank you so much for listening. I think there has definitely been lots of wisdom sprinkled here and there and we can definitely learn something from Miss Atkinson's story that she has shared with us today. Um, yeah, I guess that's the really the moral of our title actually. We hope that you have listened and you can use something that she said to grow, listen to grow. Mm-hmm. Um, also, be on the lookout for Miss Atkinson's story, her book that she might publish in five years. It's going to be called Trading Stories. I think we talked about it today. Can't wait. Yeah. <laughs> if you liked this story, you would definitely love her own story. And so yes, be on the lookout for that. Oh, I can't wait for next story already. Yep. <laughs> bye for now. See you soon. Yeah, we'll be back with another story next time. Yes, bye. Bye.